UK Motor Talk, Michael Gates and Jim Baxter. Hi, good afternoon, good evening, good day, whatever time of day it is. Good day. Good day. Good, good day, day indeed. Get ready for the Australian Well, I was going to say, that's, that's very appropriate. We'll yeah. get on to that. Mm. Uh, my name's Jim and I'm here with... Mike. Hi. We hope you're well. Yes, we, we really hope you're well because actually half the world has been quarantined now. Or, or done what they term self-isolation. I do like the sound of that, self-isolation. That's yep. just disappearing on your own and telling the world to bugger off, which I is quite I a nice. few people that are going away on cruises. And, and, of course, they're going away for two weeks, so they're definitely going away for four, aren't they? Hmm. Because it, oh, it's a great time to book a holiday. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's cheap. cheap. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's it. So if you, you do fancy flying over to Oz, catching a cr- cruising to Oz, that'd be the way to do it. Self-isolating and a villa in Portugal somewhere. I like the sound of that. That sounds There we are. Top, top consumer advice. If you're worried about coronavirus, mm. go away on holiday for a month. Have you, we, we all know about drive-throughs and like drive-throughs, unless you're in a left-hand drive in case you have to reverse reverse through. I've done that before. I drove backwards through McDonald's drive-through in a left-hand drive. I got some really weird looks. I, I like, well, in my, in my younger days, when I had a lot more time to do things, just going through and asking them for a, a cup of tap water or saying, actually, I just want to use the loo. Through the drive-through? <laughs> through That's the drive-through. Loo. That's not a bad idea. I yeah, just want that. to use your toilet. Okay, that's fine. But park up, okay, thank yeah. you. Well, anyway, drive-throughs. The hospitals are now doing drive-throughs to test for corona. Yes. So this is what you drive See, in. That's actually, yeah, no, that's a really good idea. Really good idea. Because then you don't need to go into the hospital, which yeah. is full of sick people, so you yeah. catch diseases. Do you reckon they charge you for, for parking? Oh, they will do, yeah. Yeah, that's without a doubt. Massive queues you go through. M- minimum stay £1.30 or whatever it is. And whilst, because this is, now people have finished talking about Brexit... Uh, now all we can do is talk about coronavirus. Well, we've brexited, haven't you noticed? No. No, nobody has. <laughs> Pulled up the anchor away we changed. go. Yes, nothing has changed as of yet, which is good. Let's, let's keep it like that for the moment. Except for the fact I had to speak to HMRC and things have changed there, it turns out, which makes it really confusing. But I'm not going to even start on that because that, was, well, this is, that would be the beginning of a, a two-hour podcast of, of sheer boredom on its own. <laughs> yes, right. If, if you're interested in hearing about registration matters for visiting forces, diplomatic registrations, deregistrations and the VAT treatment thereof, then write to us and we'll, we'll set up a new podcast. <laughs> UKMT Towers, PO Box, whatever it is. Um, 12. Yes. Anyway. PO Box 19. COVID-19. There we are. PO Box 19. Like it. Anyway, the reason why we started talking about this was because Geneva's been cancelled. And we talked about Geneva uh, on our last podcast and we said that we're not going because it's too dangerous. And they all agreed. Except for Koenigsegg himself, Christian Koenigsegg. Uh, and he had a very interesting car there called the Jamera, which has some pretty impressive stats. And you'll like this. So it is 1.27 megawatts, so which is a number, I don't really understand that. But it does have 3,500 newton metres of torque, which I do understand. 1.27 megawatts. So how many, what was the, the figure in Back to the Future? Was it 1.21 gigawatts? Gigawatts. So we're, we're some way off where we should have been in 2020. But we're getting there. But nevertheless, it works out roughly to about 1,700 brake horsepower. That's some. And this is a four-seater hypercar, which yep. they say is designed like an egg. All the, all the cockpits are like an egg. Marvellous. You don't have to move the seats to get in the back. It looks, it looks like the perfect family car. Well, if you discount the, the RS6, of course. But it has some interesting stats, and it's quite interesting. 1,100 brake horsepower. Well, it has some interesting stats. It's quite interesting. Attention. Interesting thing is interesting. (laughs) Interesting thing is interesting. Fact. Right. So, interesting stats. 1,100 brake horsepower, 
is the electric motors um, and then the rest of it is made up with an engine but because it's Koenigsegg it doesn't have a traditional engine with a camshaft it's a free valve engine not a three but a free valve engine so it's little solenoids that open and shut the valves and it's a two litre three cylinder engine which is quite impressive in itself but 600 brake horsepower twin turbo that's a lot that is a lot isn't a it three cylinder what so can it run on electric only i guess so all i know is that the engine itself is tiny it's mounted in the middle and you have two 500 brake horsepower motors at the back for either side because if that will do One over 130 front. miles then the benefit in kind tax if you have that as a company car is zero so I like the sound of this. Yeah, it's not going to be be doing that kind of that kind of range really. It's it's designed just to be incredibly fast. Um, it has a, you know the autonomously bits and pieces that you expect nowadays, adaptive cruise and that kind of thing. So you could use it as an actual car, and it's all pretty much carbon fibre. There's no B pillar, so it's like a B Max, but it's actually exciting and a bit lighter weight. The engineering that goes into Koenigsegg is is mighty impressive, and those are big numbers. And they still they still build cars for them, and they just they mm. they kind of build what they want to build. It happens to be what everybody likes and yeah and lusts after, but they do what they want to do, don't they? Which I like. But this thing mid-engine, front-wheel drive by the uh, by the engine itself. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, all powered via a prop shot. I think it's worth a Google. It's the Jumeirah, which I've... other search engines are available. Well, yes, indeed. Um, None of them work, but they're available. Yeah, ask Jeeves. Why don't you ask Jeeves about the Jumeirahs? Or if you Bing. use a- AOL, there's probably a notification when everyone stands up in the office and cheers. <laughs> if you want to make someone's day, use AOL. Does it still exist, AOL? Uh, I don't know. I'll have a look. To search for the Jumeirah. Right. Bear with me. Jumeirah. I believe it is G-E-M-E-R-A, but I will just also Google how they do it. I think it's quite impressive. Oh, here we go. Just dialing up. And how are we spelling it, Jim? There we are. I'm connected. And uh, yes, AOL is still a thing. It does still exist. And if you Google Jumeirah... Oh, hang on. I'm on dial-up. That's going to take forever. Oh, OK. Well, let's not worry about it. Um, yes. So if you want to Google it, it is G-E-M-E-R-A. So that makes sense. Anyway, exciting car. And it has a feature uh, where it has hot and cold cup holders. I think it's quite Ooh. interesting. Also, the only good feature about the Chrysler, I can't even remember what it was called, Sebring. Absolutely dreadful car. And um, if you've got one, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry for Saints, <laughs> I'm sorry for you. Because um, it was dreadful. Like the Crossfire, which uh, I think Clarkson said famously um, looked like a dog squatting to have a poo in the bag. It, <laughs> it is not a pretty car. Um, I do like to think that cars have at least one redeeming feature, however bad they are. Uh, and that is generally one of the last terrible cars that I drove. Um, but it did have a heated and cooled cup holder, and I like that. See, that's, that's a nice touch. idea. Why don't more cars don't have that? I really don't know. It, it, it's something that's actually useful in a car. Very Unlike useful. when we went, we went to the drive-thru in the Mini, didn't we? And I said, you can have whatever you like from the restaurant that sounds like McDonald's or Mrs. Donald's, as uh, my, one of my mate's little boys called it the other day. So if, if you go to Mrs. Donald, <laughs> it has cup holders which are probably an inch tall, 
like the ones they used to put inside glove boxes. Yeah, you flipped the lid down, it just had a, 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 sh- yes. a small cutout, didn't it? Like on an yeah. aircraft, the, the little indentation. And yeah, because obviously you can use them whilst moving. But yes, I said you can have anything you like as long as you don't actually have a drink, um, which is a problem because that's actually all you wanted in the end. It was. Hmm. So Geneva this year, obviously, as we said, they cancelled it, um, which means that they have done something new. Well, I say done something new, they've just basically put it all online. Hmm. You could turn up, like, say, Koenigsegg did, and you could do your own little... <laughs> which is hilarious. If you watch some of the videos, they're just basically dismantling everything around them. I feel so sorry <laughs> for a lot of the manufacturers that have invested a huge amount of money to be there. Yeah, it must an absolute fortune, because, of course, it was cancelled fairly last minute, but all the logistics Very. and the shipping and everything like that, that booked way in done. advance. Um, a bit like me with a friend's wedding. I booked everything, and then he emailed me to say, oh, no, we're not getting married there anymore, so I've had to try and reschedule everything. So I feel their pain. There have been some semi-interesting and some not-so-interesting cars out there. BMW, of course, have gone absolutely mad. And yeah, now you can the buy... The grill The grill eye. What's it called? I don't know. It's ridiculous. Eiffel, Eiffel grill. George Foreman grill? That's the one. Yes, it, it's just... It's madness. I it's, don't... Not, it's not an unpleasant-looking thing, apart it, from yes, the grill. Yes, it is. It, it's, a, it's, it's like someone's designed a car, and it comes free with the grill. Yeah, but if, if the grill was a sensible size, the rest yes. of the car would look okay. Yes, and yeah. this is the case for the four or whatever it is. That actually, yes, it looks proportionally, it would be lovely if it wasn't for the grill. And I just don't understand why they've done it. It's like a spitting image version. <laughs> it's of, a caricature of, of it itself, is. isn't it? And you like to think, oh, maybe it's like the bangle thing where you actually look back on some of these cars and think, oh, they're quite nice. I think, yes, in the yeah, future. Yeah, Chris Bangle cars always aged. Well, and actually it was when the new model came out, you looked yeah. at the old one and thought, well, I really like that now. Yeah, I like the 5, for example. That was a really good-looking car, I thought. Mm. But I quite like that when it was new. Yeah. I just don't know whether it's the, that now, as they're becoming more and more ugly, we're going to look back and say the ones before looked better and better. Possibly, possibly. But, uh, or maybe it's just a residual value thing. Oh, look, look at this one, it makes the old one look good. It becomes more desirable, so the value goes up. And people will say that, oh, you know, well, Audi's have big grills. Yes, but they've had big grills for a long time, and that was their signature. Mm. And then, obviously, Hyundai copied it. And in much the same way that you get the Aston Martin grills getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I notice that on the, um, the Roadster version of the Vantage, if you want to have the... Um, yeah, the, the top-down rubber. They, they now have a um, slatted grill as opposed to the mesh, which I think is really pretty. Hmm. Really very nice-looking thing. I'd love to say I've revised my order. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, not quite. And there's a few other cars. There's a Leon that's come out that looks remarkably like pretty much everything else. So it looks like the Mazda and the Focus and all the others. And there's a new Golf, which looks a bit like the front end of the old Golf has melted. And there's a new A3, which actually I really like. Um, although... Maybe I'm a bit biased. I think it's quite a good-looking car. Yes, I quite like that. A bit, maybe a bit conservative, but yeah, they always are, aren't they? But then you can never win because the uh, the eye grill is a bit daring with its grill, and nobody yeah. likes it. No, I think it's one way to uh, to look at it. Oh, and just for the purpose of the tape, I've just been shown really a, yeah Peugeot two hundred eight car. Mm. It's not an unpleasant-looking thing. And they are trying to do something different with it. It's got the fangs and the... The truth is, it looks pretty good, but Peugeot's, I think, do look pretty good. And then you drive them and you're just instantly disappointed. Yeah. I think I'm done with Geneva, just based on that. I think that's probably wiped me out. But there is one thing I do need to mention, because this is absolutely brilliant. Because, obviously, they've had to... 
to put something out for Geneva because there's not going to be a big reveal or whatever. A lot of companies are doing their own videos. I particularly liked the Aston Martin video. <laughs> and, well, what a video it was to watch. It was kind of like when you're... Insightful <laughs> and entertaining was the presentation made by Aston Martin. If you've got kids or you've got, I don't know, nieces, nephews, whatever it might be, you know that you have to sit there and very much enjoy them <laughs> reading to you <laughs> when they're six or seven years old and they, <laughs> and they read each word individually. A bit like Captain Kirk with the disjointed sentences, but without the enthusiasm. It, it reminded me of... It was like watching... Uh, a best man speech where the guy he'd, he'd spent ages on it, he'd agonised over it, really nervous, but he was just reading every word to the point where, you know, oh, and when I was asked to be best man, I thought to myself, oh well, what a challenge that will be, ha ha. And it, it was like he was reading. I, it, it wouldn't have surprised me at some point if if he read full stop. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is a pleasure to be here in my role as future executive chairman of Aston Martin Legon. It really doesn't sound like it's his pleasure. It, it sounds no. like he's been made to do it. Although, how how you get a billionaire to do something he doesn't want to do, I don't know. He could hire somebody else to do it for him. Yes, that's the thing. Lawrence Stroll. See, he, he could self-isolate himself yes. and pay a person full-time yeah. to pretend to be him. I, I get what he's done. You know, you know that I'm a big fan of Aston Martin. It's a very cool brand, arguably the coolest brand in the world. I think it's even voted the coolest brand If I was a billionaire, I'd buy Aston Martin as well. Yes, it's cool. But, if you wanted to be a billionaire, yeah. yes, probably. Yeah, you can't take it with you. You can't. You might as well spend it. If you have the world's coolest brand, you probably want to present your product in a way that makes it evocative, exciting, dynamic. Dynamic. Um, you might want to use the word passion, <laughs> but nevertheless, you probably want to get Daniel Craig to present it or someone. Yeah, if you were a billionaire, you could hire Daniel Craig full-time to pretend to be you. Yes. Couldn't you? That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? That would be awesome. Anyway, if you want to listen to our podcast next time presented by Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, so uh, we just had to mention it briefly because, bless him, Lawrence Stroll's video, it was perhaps the dullest thing. They did, uh, they did introduce some nice cars, it has to be said. They did. There's some beautiful cars. They've got the Valhalla and things as well, which are... Valhalla. Valhalla, which is, a, let's face it, a powerful name for a car, isn't it? That's a good name. It's along yeah. the lines of Thor and yes. Agamemnon. Yeah, well, yeah, slightly difficult to pronounce. Because when you ring up, hi, oh, yeah, this is uh, the insurance. Yeah, hi, um, yeah, are you quoting on that? Ridiculous. They can't even pronounce Orion. <laughs> when you ring them up, it's, uh, is that an Orion? An Orion. Orion. Run, 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 run. Yeah, probably. Got, they're, they're all probably too young to remember it, though, aren't they? Yeah, anyway. So I think, but no, good, he's, he's bought Aston Martin, so good luck to Lawrence. But of course, the, the other thing he's bought, which is the other thing I'd buy if I was a billionaire as well, is, is his own Formula One team. Yes, of course you would. Which uh, leads us nice along. So, of course, we've got Australia. The season kicks off this weekend. We're, we think it's going to. It hasn't been cancelled because of coronavirus yet. We've had, obviously, cancellation of the Chinese Grand Prix. Uh, the 
Bahrain Grand Prix will happen behind closed doors and nobody will be there, but that's no different to last year anyway. And the Australian Grand Prix, I saw something, that the pit lane walkabout autograph session will, will be conducted at a distance, so you won't be able to see or touch or interact with the drivers. So that probably doesn't upset the drivers, to be fair. Can we talk about the liveries? Yes, well, should we have a, a run-through as, as it's this weekend? So obviously we've had our, our six days of testing now, so lap times are obviously one thing, but I think probably lap count is just as if not more important than absolute headline lap times these days so should we should we run through the the grid in reverse order according to number of laps completed whatever you say lap count i just think of skeletrics you know we used to have the little lap counters you used to go through and oh yeah as you went through yeah because you did lose track didn't you well it was always it's, it's consistency isn't it because mm. everyone knows it's skeletric all you had to really do was just get the right speed so you didn't fall off it was a bit, a bit like when we went karting last time, wasn't it? It was a, a 50 lap, and the the overriding result was based on who had the least number of incidents. I had a lot. Yes. A lot of crashes. So I only, I only had one, which cost me, I think. So yes. There we go. Mm. Anyway, so bottom of the pile in terms of uh, lap count were Haas. Only 649. I say only 649. That's that's quite a lot of laps, but yeah. compared to some of the teams higher up, not uh, not so good. Tough year last year. Halfway through the season, they ended up sticking one driver out in the uh, in the Melbourne spec car. So all the development they'd done halfway through the year, they said, oh, "Actually, we're not sure. We'll we'll uh, we'll scrap that. Start again. Go back to the beginning." And the the car at the beginning of the season was quicker, more consistent, and and easier to understand. Probably what saved. Roman Grosjean's drive, I think. I find it a bit odd they've they've stuck with Grosjean and Magnussen, so I think they've probably got the weakest driver pairing on the grid. Mm. Um, we'll uh, we'll see how they get on, but the uh, the livery, obviously the rich energy debacle last year led to a black and gold livery. Uh, this year, gone back to slightly more traditional colours. What do you think? I think that I quite like the idea of a black and gold livery because it reminds me of the old John Player special, which obviously you can't have on any car anymore. It it didn't look as it didn't look quite as good though. It's, no. There was just just something about it. That, okay, the colours were there, but the whether it was the ripped off logo or whatever it was, it just it didn't quite work. Yeah, I don't think Ferraris have looked so good since Marlborough disappeared. Uh, well, it hasn't. We've still got Mission Winnow Winnow, which is Philip Morris. So, but you know what I mean. It's the old Marlborough cars. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they look flying. You know, flying or driving fag packets. They look brilliant. It was like the Rothmans. The Rothmans escorts and Porsches and things of the day. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant liveries. Yeah, absolutely. So after that, Haas have gone back to uh, their slightly more traditional colours. So it's black and white with uh, with red on it. I think most cars, most cars on the grid have added a decent splash of red this year because, of course, red is the fastest colour. Um, I think it looks quite nice. Maybe a little bit conservative, but traditional and Pe- people do genuinely psychologically, if they see a red car and I don't know another colour car next to it. People psychologically do think a red car is moving faster. It is. Yeah. I think that the Haas livery looks like a training shoe. It's possibly not a bad thing. It depends if you like training shoes or not. Well, I'd like to have more Or if you one. call them training yeah. shoes. If you call them training shoes, you probably don't like them. If you call them trainers, you probably do. Plimsolls. <laughs> okay. Well, just, I don't, I don't, right, let's, I don't own trainers. You are a fan of trainers. I like trainers. I prefer a boat shoe or a deck shoe or a nice brogue. Maybe in Oxford, depending. Well, I'm still clinging on to my youth, though, even though I'm older than you. You are. Um, I never really had a youth. I was always old. Fair enough. Yeah. OK, next up we've got Alfa Romeo, sticking with Kimi Raikkonen, which is good because he's phenomenal, and Antonio Giovanazzi. 
Uh, Alfa Romeo livery, not too much change from last year, but looks quite pretty as it is. It's an Alfa Romeo, 735 laps they got on the board. Looking okay, solid if uh, if not spectacular. Mm. Again, good splash of red, but then you kind of expect that from Alfa Romeo, don't you? You would hope so. And I, I like the positioning of the logo as well. I think that looks quite smart. But, and you know, I, I prefer tin tops to, to F1, as we well know, and I'm sure we'll come on to that in just a bit. Does it look like an Alfa Romeo? No. Are they a relatively similar looking product? Is it only the liveries that set these cars apart? With the, with the two cars that we've discussed so far, then yes, they are very different cars. Well, yes, but if you're observing a grid, say for example, and they were all black. Yes. They look different, yes. But they, do they encapsulate the brand, do you think? Do you think the livery does that well enough? The the livery does, yes. The the actual car design itself, no, of course not, because that's that's governed Neither by a set of there. rules, etc. But uh, no, I quite like the obviously they ran a um an initial or a shakedown testing livery which had a uh, snake skin and various bits, which did look rather mean and moody and cool. But um no, it's got a, got a few more sponsors on it this year. Mm, I like the I do like the the colour of red that they put on it. It's smart. I, I'm not. I have to admit that I'm not a, a mad fan of the shape of the car themselves. Partly because I'm really old-fashioned, um, and I like the, the style of Formula One cars that we had in in the '90s and even in the early noughties. I think proportionally they just don't look quite right, and I can't quite put my finger on what it is. It's almost like the wheels are too far apart or something. Uh, well, they, they've got a bit too big, a bit too long. Maybe they could do to be a little bit smaller. It might make them look a bit more agile because they're, they're actually. I remember seeing an actual F1 car for the first time in real life in the you know, mid-late 90s, mm. and I was amazed at how small it was. Yeah. But you see one in real life today, and you're amazed at how big it is, Yeah. Um, which is not, not quite the way it should be for a single-seater. I think the first time I saw one, I actually was allowed to get in it, and it was the Stuart car. I'm, just, I'm trying to remember back, because this must have been... I must have been quite young when this happened, and that must have been late 90s. And I remember looking at it and thinking... This is much smaller than I was expecting. Yeah, Stuart came in 1997-ish and then disappeared around about 1999, uh, sold out and became Jaguar. So, yeah, 97, 90. But, yes, managed to get in and then, yeah, it's, it's tight. It's, it's quite an exciting place to sit, to be honest. Oh, definitely. Uh, but next up, we do have a uh, British team and uh, very much propping up the uh, the grid and propping up the timesheets last year. Um and well, last year for Williams was just an absolute disaster from not running for the first couple of days of testing. And uh, anyone who's seen the Drive to Survive series on Netflix, the, the Williams episode is a fascinating and insightful, but b cringeworthy in in some places. If you think back to the the first the first couple of episodes of The Office, hmm. and you sat there watching it, thinking, "Am I watching a documentary, a comedy, or what?" what's happening hmm. it's a bit like that watching the Williams episode and uh, you know the the pre-season testing where they didn't get out for the first couple of days and there's team personnel flying out with bits in their carry-on and in their suitcases hmm. actual bits of Formula One car it, it shows what a mess they were in but Paddy Lowe gave the um, the excuse that oh Formula One cars these days are a bit complicated and we ran out of time I well, yes, of course they are, but you, you've been doing this for long enough. Surely you should know. And it, but it, it was just a notion going. 
disaster for them last year. But this year, first day of testing, George Russell first out on track, first out in the blocks, and and really really good to see. Mm. Um, the uh, delivery, obviously, they've uh, Rocket have got uh, a bit more space on the car, a bit less of the blue. So there's uh, there's blue and red on the car. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I think it looks better going round the track than it looks in pictures. Mm. Um, certainly looks better than last year, but I, with with the Williams this year, I, I don't really care how it looks. I just want them to go better than last year because for a team with all their success, British team, and to, to see what's happened to them has, has been a bit heartbreaking. Really. It's just sad, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think the, the design of it puts me almost a bit in mind of the, um, the Ford GT Le Mans car, that sort of red and mm. blue, top and bottom. I... I quite like it, um, partly, if nothing else, because it, it, it breaks up the side of the car, because they can look a bit side-on, almost a bit slab-sided. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, they, I, I think it's just the tail, as it goes behind the back of the, the cockpit across um, to the rear wing. Um, good for advertising, I'm sure, if you can get enough names on the, uh, names on the board. What do we think of Nicholas Latifi? We've seen a lot of him, to be fair. Mm. It crashed a lot. You're sad to see uh, Robert disappear. Well, he's alpha now, isn't he? He did a couple of mornings in the car, didn't he? And he was actually he was fairly bloody quick. So, um, but again, it's it's an odd one. You 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 sat there trying to compare everyone, and although Russell beat Kibitza twenty twenty one nil, however many races there were, it was twenty one nil in qualifying. Okay, Kibitza got a point, but Russell could have just as easily got on the podium in that race. It was a bit crazy. I think it's fairly similar to um, Nika Rosberg and Michael Schumacher back in 2010-2011. In you sat there thinking, well, Schumacher must have lost all his speed because Nika Rosberg isn't that good. And then Schumacher retired and Lewis joined the team. And how close Rosberg ran him and one year managed to beat him to the title. So, oh, is is Nico Rosberg actually that good? And Schumacher hadn't lost any of his speed. Uh, you you look at Kibitz's pace in uh, in testing, and pace is always misleading. But even correcting for tyres and fuel, etc., he was there or thereabouts compared, if not a little bit quicker than Kimi. So actually, has Kibitz lost none of his speed? And Russell really is that good. Um, I, I guess we'll see when it comes to, to Russell and Latifi. My instinct is Russell will absolutely hand Latifi his own legs to him in a box, but we will have to wait and see. Russell, he, he does his homework, doesn't he, with regards to driving simulations of the track over and over and over again. He's keen on using the tech to build up his pace. Absolutely. Uh, and I think there's, absolutely right in this day and age, I think there's a, a huge place for having that kind of, Simulation and tech, although you don't get the fe- the feeling as much. I think to to actually get in there and be able to get in all those extra laps can only be a good thing. We know that if you're going to be on track, probably the the, the way to make your car faster is just to do more of the track. I think as a, a product of modern Formula One and simulators and lap timing and telemetry, etc. You know, you go back to the. 60s, 70s, 80s and, and maybe even early 90s it, it was done on a stopwatch and, and not that much telemetry or feedback mm. but there was a bigger gap between the drivers um, but the engineers were reliant on the drivers telling them what the car was doing and what they wanted and adjusting setup and, and developing the car from there. Nowadays they know because of the telemetry and the simulations and the computers exactly what the car is doing without the drivers telling them 
but they also know the quickest way to set the car up. So a lot of the time is it adapting to the quickest way to drive the car, which is the issue. You know, in, in the old days, it would all be done by feel and so-and-so would go out and be two Suited seconds, three seconds, mm. four seconds a lap quicker than somebody else. Mm. Um, whereas nowadays, those differences, even between the very best and the very worst drivers in Formula One, which are still, of course, 20 of the best drivers in the world, mm. the, the difference is, is in tenths of a second, half a tenth of a second, etc. But all that data, of course, gives you all that feedback and you can look at it and say, oh, well, I'm braking one metre earlier but carrying two miles an hour more through that so I'll change X, Y and Z and that's it and off they go. So that that homework and that hard work is more and more important in Formula One. Do you think that as a result of being able to have the telemetry and the engineers to be able to see exactly what's going on all the time, that it removes something from the driver in terms of how they, they sort of feel and connect with the car or do you think it just allows them to focus more on the driving and worry less about the car? I think what it probably does, do it removes any hiding place. So you mm. can't say the car was understeering because the engineers can look at it and tell you that, no, it wasn't. It's the way you were braking or turning in, etc. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a, where we saw Pierre Gasly struggle last year compared to Max was in the the adaptation to the car. You often you seem to get more and more these days drivers who are phenomenally quick in midfield cars mm. or slower cars. When they get higher up the grid, they tend not to do as well. I mean, we see, going back over the years, Fisser Keller, I think, was always a good example of that. He, he did very well in the Jordan, um, certainly compared to Ralph, and, and seemed to get a lot out of the car. When he was up in the Renault, he wasn't a patch compared to Fernando Alonso, Hmm. but that car needed a very peculiar, very strange driving style, which Alonso could adapt to a lot better than Giancarlo could. So you say it's it's more about understanding the format and driving to the format than it is adapting the car to the driver, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. Good example of that was Vettel in the Red Bull. When you looked at Mark Webber compared to Sebastian Vettel, in anything other than a blown diffuser car, Weber had the edge. And But you look at the points and the results over Vettel and Weber's time together, Vettel wiped the floor with Weber. Was he that much of a better driver? No, actually, I think Weber was the better driver. If I was putting a team together, I'd put Weber in the car over Vettel. But Vettel's ability to adapt to a blown diffuser or to a car that a rear-wheel drive mid-engine car that when the back end stepped out you floored the accelerator that's that's so contradictory to mm. to every instinct you've ever had in a car um but Less actually the, the, yeah but the the longer you've been racing and driving cars the harder it is to get out of the habit so actually is it a the older drivers struggle with adapting more maybe mm. like kibitz of being an older driver um Kimmy just seems to, to chug along regardless and get on with it. But like you said, it's it's a hobby to him, so he doesn't really care. So maybe that's why he gets on with it. Nothing to prove, has he? Uh, no, exactly. It's uh, Is it a, the younger you are, the less ingrained those habits are. And the more time you've spent in simulator practising what feels very odd. Um, because if you, uh, if you spend a lot of time in the simulator practising something and it goes wrong, you just reset the button. You can sling it into a corner and say, well, I'll see what happens if I do this. 
the more and more time you've had to do it in real life, probably the less willing you are to chuck it in and see what happens mm. because it's two million, three million pounds worth of kit and you don't want to bend it. And I guess the other thing is the more feedback you get from sensors and telemetry and everything else and the more sophisticated computers and simulations have become, the more you can feed that back into a simulation and replicate how the car would or should actually feel. Exactly. It's not like, um, for example, the controls of a, a plane where everything might be fly-by-wire. You do need to understand exactly how that traction is going to feel when you put your foot down and when you break into a corner, as you say, if it's going to step out and you need to correct it with throttle as opposed to you know, your position, your brake or whatever it might be. Of course, Formula One cars, uh, the, the throttle is fly-by-wire. Brakes these days are brake-by-wire as well, or BBW for short. So if, if you're keen to learn more about that, go on Google. Other search engines are available. Just search BBW and you'll find all you need to know on Formula One braking systems. But it is just, it's the way that it reacts. It can be fly-by-wire, because most car throttles are fly-by-wire, hmm. but it doesn't mean that they all feel the same. No, exactly, or lots of modern cars, hybrids and fevs and things like that, the, yeah. the brake pedal feels peculiar now in them because the does. first bit of travel, the first bit of pressure or braking is uh, is done by regenerative through it's the not motor. Actually it's braking. not actually using the brake pads yeah. or discs, so it does, it does feel a little bit alien. And you get cars that have one pedal braking, and I was thinking about this actually as I was driving along earlier, and I was uh, rolling down towards a roundabout basically because you know, it, was, it was in gear but we were just make your way down, I thought, actually, having driven a hybrid car, where you have that you know, very strong regenerative braking, to then, I wonder whether the next generation coming through will suddenly think, oh, if I'm driving a car that's not hybrid, are they just going to suddenly plough into the back of other stuff? Very possibly. <laughs> because they're expecting it to, to suddenly, effectively break itself. But that you, you extrapolate that feel on the brake pedal or that confidence in the brakes on a road car for tootling to and from work, and that's fine. When you're wheel-to-wheel with somebody at 200 miles an hour, yeah. that, that feel and that confidence in the car is, uh, is all important. I think that, that's something Ricardo struggled with last year in the Renault, who are, funnily enough, next up in our, uh, in our lap time chart, moving, moving seamlessly on. And I'm pleased about this because I, I finally get to talk about livery because I actually really like it. And that's pretty much as much as I wanted to say, but um, I like the colour. You know, they, they use a, a liquid yellow across their, their R.S products. I've, I've refused to call them RS products because they're, they're not really, they're Renault sport products. Um, and I like the sort of traditional look to it. So I think having the yellow stripe up the centre, the black down the sides, is kind of what I expect it to look like. And I'm pleased because in my mind, that is how I see uh, a Renault Formula One car. No, I like it. It's a. Um... Yeah, modern twist on the traditional, and the uh, the suits look a bit better than they did a couple of years ago because they had yeah. very yellow suits with uh, obviously the the slightly creamy coloured fireproof underwear. So any of the drivers that unzip their overalls, they look like a banana that was peeling themselves <laughs> walking around the pit lane. Um, obviously, Daniel Ricciardo has stayed with Renault for this year. I, I think they're going to have to step it up and step it up big time to uh, to be able to hold on to him. I I was going to say, do you think you regret it? I think he maybe regrets the move to Renault, bearing in mind he could have gone to McLaren, and we mm. haven't got to McLaren yet, and we look at their fortunes. Um, I, I think he had the choice of McLaren or Renault and picked Renault, which on, on paper, 100% the sensible decision at the time when you looked at where McLaren were. Um, whether they can step up to the plate and deliver what it is they must have promised him to get a, a driver of his calibre, because he is one of... If, if not the best drivers on the grid at the moment. Um, he's certainly the best overtaker 
um, on the grid and, and one of the best racers. Uh, I do worry that they're not quite going to quite going to be there, and with their corporate issues, etc., are they going to hang around for that long? I suspect they have because they've signed some some multi-year deals with uh, sponsors and other bits and pieces. So I, I think they are in it for the long haul. It's just whether they can make that that step that step up this year. Um, but obviously, his teammate Hulkenberg's out for the year uh, because he crashed in Germany. I think the again going back to the Netflix documentary. The, the ultimatum pretty much was if you don't get a podium this year you're out of a job which when you look back at his crash out of second place at the German Grand Prix um, all the more gut-wrenching and it, it gave you a real insight into what was going through his mind and the build-up to it um, I'll, I'll miss Hulk because I think he was uh, he was a very good driver um, right up there on pace but the length of time he'd been in Formula 1 to never get a podium that does tell you there's maybe something missing there because when you have fewer podiums than Lance Stroll does, there's there's something fairly yeah. wrong there. Um, who would you have in your team, Hulk or Stroll? Of course, it would be Hulk, but um, they've plumped for Ocon, which uh, which I can understand. It'd be interesting to see how those two get on this year because, of course, Ocon and Perez had fireworks a couple of years ago, and Verstappen and Ocon had uh, had fireworks. So Ocon doesn't have the best reputation for getting on with teammates or getting on with other drivers. But if it spices it up and adds to a bit of drama and adds to the show, then all good. I think when you're competing at that that level, though, and it's the same with you rally drivers, because you can see them when they're on pace, or whatever. They are superhuman. You expect that level of competitiveness, and they these are exceptional. And I saw a um, I saw a meme the other day, and I thought this was brilliant. They said with the Olympics, they should just put a random Dave in there or Steve, just for comparison purposes, so you can well, see ju- just to see how good they are. Just to see, yeah, how how bad the average person is. Yes. So, although we say some some drivers are more exceptional than others, as you rightly say, you know, these are the twenty of the best drivers in the world, or certainly that we're aware of that are yes. competing professionally, and. To be in that top 20, you have to be exceptional anyway. It's just what gives you that little edge. Whether it is, as you say, adapting to the car, or whether it's because there is something missing. I mean, I would be gutted, absolutely gutted, if I spent, bearing in mind the amount of time they spend training physically, with the amount of time they spend in the simulator, to go out there and, and never win, I would be absolutely distraught with that. Yeah, or for, for any driver coming through, obviously, to get to Formula One they've won everything they've ever entered. They've been champion, they've had pole positions, fastest laps and race wins. And then chances are they will have been GP3 or F3 champion and kart champion and F2 champion or GP2 champion. Uh, And then they can get to Formula 1 and never step on the podium again, ever, which is is an odd thing. And it must be a very odd thing for such a competitor as a Formula 1 driver has to be to enter... And never win, but they keep trying, and that's that's obviously what spurs them on. I guess you have to just believe that that you, and know that you can you can do it. But certainly, we see in different different sports, some people do buy their way into a car, but at that level, you need to be you do need to be exceptional. There is no other option, is there? Because otherwise, you get shown up very quickly indeed. Absolutely, but actually, no, I, I like that idea. So maybe I should try entering a Grand Prix this year. You should. We'll need some sponsorship. So if you're a billionaire looking to invest in a uh, UK Motor Talk Formula 1 team, please send us a cheque for... I know we've got a budget cap next year, so we could do it for 
only a hundred and seventy million dollars or something like that. So anyway. if you've got to spare hundred and seventy million dollars uh, floating around, send us a check to uh, UK Motor Talk Towers, PO Box nineteen, and we'll, uh, and if we'll you get want stuck in. To design us a, a lovely livery uh, and stop me moaning about it, um, then again write to us about uh, UK Motor Talk Towers, uh, COVID nineteen. No, P.O. Box 19, whatever it is. Anyway, just write to us. Well, sp- speaking of lovely liveries, I think that leads us on next to the, the Alpha Tauri team. Formerly Toro Rosso, but we now have two teams on the grid named Alpha. Uh, we'll try and stick to our convention of calling them both Alpha just to make life confusing. And uh, I, for me, the best livery, yeah. easily, it, it looks phenomenal. That looks really, really nice. And it looks even better when it's moving, which is a, which is a, a feat in and of itself. See, again, I think there's a, a hint of classic liveries to that, isn't there? There is... I, I think it is a, good, a really good-looking thing. Albeit, well, there are some similarities between the, the concept, between the Alpha Tauri and the Alpha Romeo, who'd have thought it, <laughs> red instead of blue, and the, the swirly snake, the red bull, the way the Infinity logo of Alpha Tauri blends into it. Mm. Um, but it's got a bit of red on it, so that makes it faster. It looks and, uh, fast, anyway. Does it? it looks? It's one of those cars that looks fast stationary. Yes. And you might think I'm talking nonsense. You might understand exactly what I mean. Some cars do look fast, even when they're not moving. Um, and I think that certainly, on a road car, it's often the wheels and other bits and pieces that the stance of the car that that, that affects that. On a Formula One car, because they are how they are, I think it is the paint job. Or yeah, it has to be, yeah, yeah. That does affect it. Well, no, they turned in a, a decent amount of, uh, of laps. I think ran quite reliably, seven hundred and sixty-nine laps. Um, hung on to Daniel Kvyat and Pierre Gasly. Um, it was good to see Gasly's bounce back after his demotion and, and towards the end of the season, and see him get a podium in Brazil was was wonderful. If he goes really well this season, and Albon doesn't, will he then get promoted back to the Red Bull team and? Will that be a bad thing again? I think this goes back to: Are you a good, good driver in a bad car, or a bad driver in a good car, etc.? Um, but good, good luck to them as a, you know, only a small team. Although they are obviously a sister team to the Red Bull, there's a limit in the amount of information they can share. So I think the Alpha Tauri team, as as a rule, do punch well above their weight mm. for the money they have. Anyway, next up, funnily enough, sister team to Alpha Tauri is Red Bull, and they were next up in the uh, in the lap counts. Looked. Very, very fast, if a little bit skittish. I think they probably had more spins and things than um, any of the other teams. Fewer crashes. I think Haas held the record for number of crashes. Roman Grosjean had the first crash of the season, which is really unlike him, to be fair. I think he lasted all of about eight minutes before he ripped a corner off it. Uh, so he did very well. But Red Bull, obviously, the delivery is is the Red Bull livery. That hasn't really changed for a couple of years. You know when you do... We both wrote shorts earlier. We know when you they say, any accidents or losses... Yeah, I, I do wonder if Roman Grosjean has to declare all of those when he's. But then, of course, everybody knows who he is, so you'd automatically just load the premium up a little bit, wouldn't you? But it looked quick enough. Um, Verstappen and they've held on to Albon, so Albon has to step it up and get that little bit closer. He had, he had a very good, a good second half of the season last year compared to Max, and was was there or thereabouts on pace. But as is the nature with Red Bull, he has to be on Max's pace or 
finishing right behind him to uh, to hold on to his drive. So it'd be interesting to see if he can do that. But they haven't even done a uh, a testing livery or you know a camo livery from a couple of years ago. I, I like that because they do something unusual. But it would be nice to uh, to see them change it up a bit. But they are Red Bull's colours. They're their corporate colours. I would like to see them with a giant kind of Red Bull on the back, like the minis and beetles that you see at events. Well, the the very early ones did look more like a can of Red Bull because they were blue and silver quartered and, and with the Red Bull logo over the top of it. But now it's the uh, the dark matte blue with Red Bull logos and that's it. But they, they do so many different flavours of Red Bull. It would be good to see them do the different flavours for the liveries. I think that would work Sugar quite free. well. Yeah, sugar free, so it could go a little bit lighter. Yeah. Or there's an orange flavour, so have a, a nice bright orange F1 car. That would look quite good for them, I think. Mm, uh, it's an interesting company, the Red Bull, isn't it? it? When you think about it, because it is just high octane sports in a can. It is a fantastic marketing company. Yes, but it's, it's odd that there's that much money in sugary drinks that taste a bit peculiar that allow them to sponsor anything and everything. They pretty much sponsor the world these days. Yes, that is their image, isn't it? And their image is what they invest in, and that's what sells the cans. So although arguably manufacturers racing doesn't necessarily sell the cars, it certainly sells the cans. And, it, and of course, the, in a pub, if you ask for a, uh, a Coke, they say, oh, is Pepsi OK? Better. Sorry, uh, no. But if you're in a pub and you ask for a Vodka Red Bull, they don't say, oh, it's Monster, is that OK? It's always Vodka Red Bull and you get Vodka Red Bull. Yes, yeah. No, sh- sugar-free Coke, not good. Just throwing that out there for... Anyone that, uh, that, that is, is forced into sugar-free drinks, Pepsi Max or, or other alternative brands, there you go, they've got my personal recommendation and bias. Uh, so next up, and leading on from your point of all F1 cars looking the same these days, we've got the racingpoint.bwt.teamstroll, soon to be Aston Martin Racing Stroll Point, whatever they're going to be called. Yes. Uh, I've just got used to calling them Racing Point, which is a sh- if we're honest, but that's what we have to call them. Actually, a, uh, a nicer-looking livery than, than last year. There's still the big splash of blue with BWT, but less of a block of blue, and I, th- I think it looks a lot nicer this year and a lot simpler and a lot plainer for it. See, I, again, I think this livery is one of the ones that makes the, the car look wrong because the lines, the, sort of the, the slash going across the rear quarter makes it look too tall, and it also makes it look too long. And if you compare that to the Red Bull, which is quite an interesting livery, the Renault, which is quite an interesting livery, or the Alfa Romeo, which you like, it just, no, I'm not sure. I don't like it at all. Well, I think it, it kind of hides it. Well, they could have painted it silver and then it would have looked even more like a Mercedes. I mean, the, the mm. comparison to, um, to Mercedes, obviously people have made a lot, a lot of it, but in terms of outline and shape, if you, if you look at two pictures of them side by side or front on, on the track, they are absolutely identical it's somebody has just looked at the photos and designed the car the same whether that's going to work out for them, I mean they could be a bit of a dark horse I don't think it'd be a bad idea to sling a five Ron Perez to win a couple of races this year okay there's only so much you can tell from the outside and there's the uh, the underneath etc but it's a Mercedes engine it's a Mercedes gearbox so lots of the suspension pickup points have to be the same etc so the back end underneath is a Mercedes so they might as well copy the outside and the front of the Mercedes and see how they get on with it. If it's a winning recipe, oh yeah, if, if, you can't if, blame them. If, if you're going to copy anyone, then copy the best team. You don't copy the worst team on the grid, you copy the best team. That mm. that makes sense. Suddenly, I don't know why, I'm suddenly put in mind of the BMW X5 and then the Chinese replica of... No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing like it at all, was it? The court found that. Allegedly. 
It was the, nothing the, at the all like the replica. X5. No, not, not similar at all. That was a Chinese court that ruled that the Chinese copy didn't look anything like the other one. And it doesn't, because obviously that's a, legally that's the decision they've made. So yeah, the, yeah, that looks, was the court's ruling. I think so we can we, agree they look nothing like each you other. You must respect them. So, Force India Racing Stroll Point, obviously they have... Uh, They've held on to the owner's son as a driver, which which was a shock decision. They never actually announced it. He just sort of turned up, and and that was it. So he's uh, he's back in the car. Lawrence Stroll was delighted by this news. I'm sure he was to announce his son as driver for his Formula One team. Um, but no, I get. I, he's another driver who's going to have to step it up this year because. Aston Martin, regardless of who owns Aston Martin and who owns the team, etc., will a brand like Aston Martin overall be happy with a driver who's not performing in one of their cars on one of the biggest stages in the world? No, no they won't. So he's going to have to uh, have to give Perez a run for his money. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to do that because Perez, is he a phenomenal midfield driver or is he phenomenal full stop? He, uh, he didn't fare that well when he was in the McLaren, but again, maybe that was a timing issue. Um, but who knows, they, they might be a good outside bet for a win in Australia if uh, if everything goes a bit mental, as it occasionally can do at the start of the season. Tend to put a fiver on with them. Why not? Just <laughs> a, a, a fiver on everyone and see what happens. You, you win something, then who knows? Yeah. So, McLaren, Ferrari and Mercedes, McLaren next, and blue and orange. I like blue and orange. You do like blue and orange. Blue, orange and carbon fibre. And so that, that is... Blue and orange over carbon fibre, so that's 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 pretty much a bit of me. So, why is this? It's, it's a real shame to see the end of Arnbrew. I um, slightly prefer the livery from last year, but I do still like it. It is still very nice. It's my my second favourite livery of the year, I think. Arnbrew, Arnbrew, um, holding on to Science and Lando Norris. How many more memes will we get out of Lando this year? Hopefully, very many. But they they had quite a quiet testing session but I think that's maybe a good thing certainly compared from a couple of years ago the the dramas and everything blowing up and Alonso's mysterious accidents and and all the talk last year was of uh, of Williams and how they were running or not running as the case happened to be so yeah. McLaren just seemed to have had a quite quite a quiet six days and just got on with it and and done their thing and seemed quietly confident so it'd be good to see if they can if they can step it up um possibly even maybe overhaul Ferrari this year, I think, given how whether Ferrari were sandbagging like anything in the test. Of course, they were fastest in all the testing, in winter testing last year, and then didn't quite measure up in uh, in race pace, and then seemed to get on seemed to get on the pace of Mercedes, and their engine seemed to kick it up a notch until somebody had a look at it and said, well, we don't think you're cheating, but if you were cheating, this is probably the thing you'd be doing, but... We can't prove the thing you are doing is the thing you're doing, but if you could not do the thing we think you're doing, but we can't prove, that'd be brilliant. And then they may or may not have stopped doing the thing they thought they were doing, and all of a sudden their performance dropped off, which was a bit odd. Hmm. Then they had a meeting with the FIA, and they said, well, no, we, we definitely can't prove you were doing the thing you were doing, but don't do the thing, and if you could pay us a load of money in, in settlement and, and we'll go away and not tell anyone what you're doing, then that'd be good so uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes there and uh, something very very odd so they were up to something last year with their engine weren't they I think with without a doubt allegedly um, they, they were cheating allegedly without a doubt allegedly because of course nothing's been published yet so allegedly you can say without a doubt they were allegedly cheating I quite literally couldn't comment <laughs> allegedly allegedly 
but on the drivers obviously held on to Leclerc and Vettel and seems odd to be talking about a full-time world champion as one who really needs to step up his game this year in order to hold on to his seat it's a do you think do you think it's a not being happy there not being comfy being out of love with a sport in generally you know he's got a fantastic sense of humor and he's a, a, a cheeky mm. chappy and whatever else but that that just seems to have been knocked out of him the last couple of years is it the the lack of success or Ferrari as, as an organisation in well, general? It's, it's got to get to you, hasn't it, really? You know, any, any team's going to be demanding, but you want to be able to, to go out there, perform, be the best, be the fastest you possibly could be. He's been doing it for a very long time and he's had a great career. So is he a bit despondent? Possibly. Yeah, so again, it's an odd younger drivers that get all the way through, get to F1 and never win. He'd won everything all the way through and then mm. got to F1 and then very quickly started winning and then very quickly was a four-time world champion. You mm. look at that trajectory and you kind of expect him to be an eight, nine, ten-time world champion now. Um, but since leaving Red Bull, obviously, it, it hasn't happened. He's had a couple of wins with Ferrari, but never really been there. Is Ferrari just a team that, over the last couple of years, seems to have knocked the stuffing out of phenomenal drivers? I mean, it, it happened with Alonso. Is it happening with Vettel as well? Certainly on occasion, Leclerc has shown Vettel up in terms of pace, qualifying and race pace. He's a Ferrari junior. He was brought up all the way by Ferrari. So is he their wunderkind, as it were? You know, just as Vettel was the Red Bull prodigy at Red Bull, he was their poster boy for the young driver programme. Leclerc is that at Ferrari. Um, and, and you've got to feel a, a little bit of that, to be fair. Uh, so yeah, but Ferrari it's still uh, it's still matte and it's still matte orange. It doesn't look as good as Ferraris of uh, Volvo, unfortunately. You kind of think just red would be quite an easy livery to get right because it's red, but it doesn't look quite as nice it's, as some of the red cars have in the past. It's not exciting, is it? It's just it's red, yes. It's red with black bits, yes. It's red with with black bits and a Ray Ban logo, yes. It's just and the shell logo. And the shell logo. But then, to be fair, the, yeah. the Ferraris of the early '90s were red with black bits and a shell logo, and they look really, really nice. But it's, I think the fact it's actually a little bit orange doesn't help. Um, and mm. like you said earlier, it's, it's lost the Marlboro, the actual Marlboro logo out of the yeah. top of it. So that that little red, red and white flash on the top of the engine cover, um, or a slightly different shade of red or orange on there, did did stand out, did make it look good. But yeah. I think I, I can see them slipping to third in the championship. Mm. This year, maybe even a bit lower if uh, if things don't go well. Whether they'll they'll do a couple of races and then realise they're they're not going to get there this year. So will they just stop development on this year and focus purely on next year mm. uh, with the big rule changes, etc. Much as Honda did in '08, leading into '09, it worked for them. Uh, I think much as McLaren did '97 to '98 as well. It it might be they do two races and and knock it on the head. But can they hold on to? Sebastian and Leclerc, if that's the case, I'd imagine they'll hold on to Leclerc long term. But will Sebastian want to walk away? But then, do you walk away at at the end of the year when everything's changed and there's all this for next year, or is that when you make the break? As as we were saying, when you're at the point of the career that Sebastian is, you you want to be always on a high, don't you? You want to be, and if you are going to walk away, you want to to walk away not having given it your best shot, but having delivered a result. Well, he's in terms of uh, like we said earlier about Kimi having not a lot left to prove. I think Sebastian has got something left to prove because he always had that tag at Red Bull of you're only winning because you're in a Red Bull and you've got mm. the hang of the blown diffuser. 
so he moved to Ferrari to to emulate Schumacher and then to prove that he could win in a different team and take a team from not winning the championship to winning the championship. Um, but even if Ferrari came out of the blocks with the fastest car by two seconds a lap this year, I think it would be Leclerc winning the championship and mm. not him. So does he kind of have to walk away again to try and prove himself somewhere else and where would he go? I don't think he'd go back to Red Bull. Their their young driver programme is yeah. um, too much on that. Would he want to go up against Max? I don't think he would. Um, would do you would think, he go to a lower team? Well, do you think sticking in mid-table would give him a chance to shine? It would maybe give him a chance to shine if he got on with the car against his teammate, but yeah. that's not what he wants to do. You know, no. In your first season or your first two seasons, blowing the doors off your teammate is enough. That's That's all you can do. You're in the same car... Yeah. That's the only one. That's the only measurement you've got. Yeah. Vettel's measure of success is another championship. That's it. Yeah. Blowing the doors off your teammate doesn't mean anything to him anymore because he's already done that. He is expected to do that. So that's the that, that's almost the standard. Mm. Um, it's it's going that level above it. Would he go to the the team at the top of the uh, top of the times and top of the lap charts again? Uh, Mercedes. I think if you're going to go anywhere, you, you try and go to Mercedes. I think that's where you've got to be, isn't it? Really. Uh, well, c- certainly for this coming year, I can see it being a uh, another another whitewash for Mercedes. Not much has changed in uh, in terms of the livery. There's a slightly so- more solid block of cyan on it, or turquoise, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, but it, it's an odd one after all the the years of domination and how quick they are. You'd, you'd almost think they could turn up with last year's car stick some different stickers on it and there we go that's a new car they'd still probably be quickest mm. um but they've come out of the blocks again with more innovation the dash system the you know, variable front steering geometry at the front um variable front steering at the front this is this is brilliant and confuse the hell out of me to begin mm. um but actually a, a brilliant idea Oh, it's a bit, but it's very odd to watch when they're driving along the straight and they pull the steering wheel. You expect the thing to take off because yeah. normally if, you, if you're if you piloting anything at that speed and you pull the steering wheel, that's that gives you lift and off you go, doesn't it? Yes. Lewis is on six world championships and will probably more than likely equal Schumacher on seven this year. Yes, well, he's, he's chasing that record, isn't he? Without a doubt. So that will make him level in terms of number of championships. I think he will probably pass Schumacher in terms of number of wins this year, if all goes according to the form of the last couple of seasons. So, in all likelihood, Lewis will end the season with the same number of championships as Schumacher, more wins, pole positions, etc., than anyone else. What does he do after that? Does he? He's, he's obviously got to want the eighth to be the greatest of all time, without question, in terms of statistics, whether statistics tell the whole story or not but if uh, if you've got as far as getting six then uh, you might as well push for seven and eight mm. um but will he will he stay with mercedes will he stay with his family you know he's been he's been powered by mercedes all the way through his racing and his formula career you know mm. mclaren they were mclaren mercedes but will he want to leave mercedes and go to ferrari because is is that on every f1 driver's bucket list just because it's ferrari or will he look at what's happened with Alonso and Vettel and, and, you know, two of his great rivals, you know, two of the rivalries that have, have you know, been the highlights or the uh, the bookmarks of his career were his rivalries with Alonso, Vettel, um, Rosberg, etc. You know, but w- would he want to follow them into Ferrari at the risk of 
getting spat out the other side the same. I'm going to say no. I think this is a car, I would say, designed around him almost. You know, mm. this is... He's clearly at home here. I think he will push for his eight. In my mind, I wonder whether he'd be more likely to retire than to move to someone else at that point. I guess it probably depends what motivates somebody. If you, you know, At this point, is he going to be motivated by whether Ferrari could pay him to, to shift? Probably not. You know, he's, he's got to where... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think he needs to top up the yeah. pension before, before yeah. retirement, does he? Exactly. And if you are going to complete your career on an absolute high, an eighth win... It's an odd one. I think if he'd have had... And again, for the fine margins we were talking about, you know, I think it's a, Alonso over his career, if he'd have scored seven more points, would have picked up three more world championships. Hamilton, over the course of his career, you know, if he'd have picked up one more point uh, one year, he would have been on seven now. Hmm. So if last year was his seventh and he won his eighth this year to move clear and out of touch of, of pretty much everyone else for, for the foreseeable future... And with a big rule change next year, I would have actually put money on him moving because mm. you've ended the season, you've won eight, you've won all there is to one, you're, you're top of everything. Why not give it a go with Ferrari and see what happens? Whereas if he wins this year and he's on seven, he's got one more to go before he is out in front. Yeah. So my instinct is he, he would be, he'd be more inclined to stay with Mercedes for the first year of the new regulations. Yeah. And then make a move from there. But he, he could pick wherever he wants to go. Yeah. It doesn't matter who's there, who's in contract, whatever. Any team he wanted to go and drive for, yeah. he could go and drive for them. I think it would be interesting, though, if he did vacate the Mercedes seat. Hmm. Um, whether he was still in play or whether you know he, he'd retired or, or, or what have you, I think it would be interesting to see what then happened with everyone else. Yeah, I think we'll see. If, again, maybe I think the key to all uh, to the driver market for next year again is Daniel Ricciardo. When he made mm. his move a couple of years ago, that shook everything up, and it was panic stations, and and everybody had to run around sorting out seats. Now, if Renault aren't up to spec, and Vettel is having a year like he had last year, I can see Vettel walking from Ferrari. Mm. The question is then whether. Ricardo goes to Ferrari, or Lewis goes to Ferrari, but I, I, I could see Lewis. I could see Ricardo in a Ferrari for next year. I could see that happening. Um, similarly, I could see Vettel in a Mercedes. That that I would like to see Vettel and Lewis in the same team. Yes. That that would be good for a year. Yes, and then Lewis could then go to Ferrari, depending on what Ricardo and Leclerc are up to. But I, I kind of want to see it mixed up just to mix it up. You know, it's, mm. it's cyclical. This always happens. A team dominates for a while. It happened with Williams, then McLaren, then Ferrari, then Renault, then Braun for a year. That's the best, still the best year of Formula One ever. Then Red Bull for a long period. Now Mercedes for a long period. You, you get bored of it. Unless you're a massive, massive fan of the driver, then inevitably you get bored of it. Um, you're not so it's, it's that desire that, for change. You're not suggesting it? that Formula One is, is ever stayed, are you? Uh, it's cyclical. <laughs> the fact you're talking about this before the season's even started. What, the Mercedes, <laughs> Mercedes are going to win everything? Hey, chances are they are. But by the same token, that's that's kind of the nature of the beast. Everybody has the same rules. Everybody has, in theory, brain power and 
fingers and computers and can design or think of something. But had had anyone, I know we're not Formula One car designers, but we're racing and car enthusiasts, had anyone ever even considered the possibility of pulling the steering wheel in order to straighten up the toe angle of a car to give you better top speed on the straights? I've, I've been into cars for, for more years than I care to remember. I've run race cars and done setup and all that kind of thing and gone through toe angles and camber angles to the the half a degree to oh no we need a millimeter more of this less of that it's never even occurred to me it would be lovely if you could do that and it's never occurred to anyone in formula one before no ever so again the 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 rules are one thing but the rules are there and they're the same for everyone how well will the budget cap control this possibly a will i think it's maybe an advantage for some of the teams that have other divisions to them because they can farm out the the expertise the resources the development um so if you look at mclaren they have technology they have road car departments etc so oh steve who works for the road car department just happens to have worked on something that's really really brilliant um, and tells his mate Dave, who works for the Formula One team, over lunch, so it takes Dave two minutes to design it, that that could work to their advantage. Another team it could work to their advantage is Williams, and actually I'd, I'd be in favour of that, uh, if it got them a bit further up the grid. Um, but would it help Ferrari? Again, possibly. There's a lot of free overtime going on here. Exactly, yeah. So there's Burt Mercedes as well, they've obviously got... A reasonably substantial road car division. So again, how much of it can be moved in, moved out according to well, that? Mercedes is, is an interesting one, isn't it? Because they have the propeller. They are by sea, by air, by land. Hmm. There's there's a huge, huge amount of engineering that goes into all the various different things they do. Because you can buy a sports car, you can buy a Unimog, you can buy a boat, and we're just looking at a Mercedes boat now, and it's kind of kind of pretty. That is pretty. I like that. That's the sort of bugged I like. No sails, just a massive engine in the back. That's it. That's what you want in a boat. Yes. Which is is not, unfortunately, what I'm going to have when I borrow a boat to go up and down the broads, because that's eight miles an hour from its 11 horsepower engine. I, uh, I, I like the fact that this uh, this boat has to have four-point harnesses in it. I, I like the idea that's of that. That's ideal, isn't it? That, that shows it has enough grunt about it. I agree. Anything to stop you spilling your gin and tonic. Exactly. That's definitely the kind of boat that, if it had a toilet or heads, that it would have a carbon fibre toilet. BCC, quickly then, because yes. we are now in season. Donington Park is weekend of the 28th of March. We've got the test day coming up fairly soon, or the media day, or the launch day, or... Whichever way you want to call it. It's all three rolled into one, I think, budget cutbacks. And they're all out there working at the moment. We've seen the new Focus out there now. Yes, I didn't even realise that was uh, that was going to be a thing this year, but that looks rather good as a racing car. Yeah, so I quite like the the RS that they did, but it was just wrong, because it there had to be front-wheel drive and 2.0-litre, and it was four-wheel drive and 2.3, so it didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah, it was, it was an ST, yeah. wasn't it? But just with the RS badge on, and that was yes, it. with different front end on it. But actually, we say that. Well, I say. Well, I say we say. You say, say they don't. I, I say, I say yeah, that the Formula One cars look the same. As the tin top ones do at least look vaguely like the cars they're supposed to be. Oh, they, yeah, they they look absolutely like the road cars, just with a body get on them. But you can tell at a glance which is which. Yeah, you can. Um, we were saying the other day off, Mike. Do you find it really bizarre that you can find so many cars which are not 
a currently produced car though, Civics being an example of this. So in other words, there is a current Civic, but the mm. type that's racing, because it's not a works team, is the older version of it. And I just find that a little bit bizarre. But still on occasion quite competitive, if not more competitive than the new one. But again, that's the length of time it's been around as the setup and the development of that as a race car being refined. But I think if you uh, if you peel the, the skin and the bodywork off a lot of them, I think they are vaguely all designed yeah. in a similar way underneath, aren't they? You know, the, um, the Super Touring front end of it just is, yeah. is a bolt-in, yeah, bolt-on front end package, yeah. wasn't it? And then if you look in the back of them at the suspension and the pickup points and the layout, etc., it bears no resemblance at all no. to the road car layout. No, and I think that's the same. Obviously, it's scaled depending whether you're driving a Passat, whether you're driving, again, the old version of the A-Class. In fact, it's the old, old version of the A-Class. It is, yeah, the old, old A-Class. The old, old A-Class. Um, regardless of what you're driving, I think, um, yes, it's a scaled version of, of, of roughly a similar kind of thing. But we've got some, some interesting tussles, I think, that are going to happen. Smiley's gone to Hyundai. Or at least it's running an I-30. Uh, yep, brand new. So it's good to see a brand new car in it and another manufacturer, even if it's not manufacturer-backed, at least it's a another manufacturer yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if the, as you get plenty of the bigger manufacturers that have moved away from the win-on-Sunday-sell-on-Monday model, yeah. um, and you look at the, the manufacturers that once sold cars in very, very good numbers over the years... And how they moved away from motorsport and how those numbers start to dwindle. I'm not saying motorsport is is the single most important marketing activity you can do, but I think it certainly does help. You look at the yeah. Impreza back oh, yes. in the the mid, the early mid and late nineties. They, they, they sold in their thousands. Yeah. Now, not so much. I think you can count on one all hand blue, the number all gold of wheels. Exactly, as as it should be. But and quite the, right too. The car was it, it was iconic. It was exciting. It was dramatic and. Yeah people bought it and it worked um you know ford with the cortinas and escorts all the way from the mark one all the way up to uh, the wrc cars again of the mid 90s yeah and they sold very well ford haven't really had a, a proper presence in motorsport their sales figures are declining mercedes have got a reasonably good presence in world motorsport and even with some success as well so but their figures are only climbing uh, BMW figures are climbing, and of course BMW, albeit through WSR, but the 3 Series last year was, was all dominant, mm. um, and I think that does show in uh, in the sales charts. I, th- I think a lot of the problem is that manufacturers don't have the money now to invest in it, and don't see it necessarily as good value, and actually, I kind of see that, because when you think um, touring cars pushed down to ITV4, you got the WRC, again, is sort of pushed out. It, it, it is about an eight-hour programme, though, on ITV4. I mean, they've got nothing else to show on ITV4, I think, but at least you can turn it on on a Sunday morning yep. and watch it all day long or have yes. it on in the background all day long. Yeah, and I think it's it's probably relatively good value in that from that point of view, but these are fantastic drivers in really quite exciting cars, really competitive racing, really close together, considering... How, although we say that they're relatively similar underneath, they are all different cars. And mm. to see them on a tight circuit like Brands within tenths of a second of each other. Yeah, I think last year was it first to, to 18th on the grid was within 0.2 of a second. Or something. I mean, a very short circuit, as you say, but yeah. it's, uh, it's nice to see them 
to see them that close together. But yeah, like you say, is is it good value for the manufacturers? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think a, a season in touring cars. I think if you want to get into it, even at the very cheapest in inverted commas level, I don't think you'll get much change out of three, four, five hundred thousand pounds no. for the year. Um, for the manufacturers, is that good value or not? Well. For a company like Mercedes, well, yeah, they, they could drop half. They could drop a million pounds and run two cars at, at the drop of a hat and be quite happy with it. Mm. Other manufacturers uh, are maybe struggling a bit more. So, but motorsport again is that is that a real influencer in their sales? And you look at the trends, and, and this is I appreciate it, a little bit boring if you're tuned in to listen exclusively about motorsport here. But the attractiveness of brands in terms of. BMW, Mercedes, blah, 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 blah. You can buy one on a, a lease or a PCP and because the residuals are good enough, it's as cheap as buying a Vauxhall or a Ford or a VW, whatever it might be. And so are people just going to go for brand because it's more attractive? Possibly. Does motorsport help? To me, yes. And you said you mentioned your pretzel. I wouldn't have looked twice at one of those in the 90s if it wasn't for McRae. No, exactly the same here. And I Lancers. Mean, my... Um, my Working life, my career, I joined, you know, one dealership that was Subaru, ended up working on the Lotus side of things, um, which have got equally as good a heritage and pedigree in motorsport. But the single reason I wrote to a Subaru dealership in the first place was Colin McRae. He was the single reason that I had a career in the motor industry. So, thanks, Colin. (laughs) Yeah, and unquestionably an absolute legend and a massive loss to the world, I think, rather than just the country. Mm. But you think of Burns as well. Again, Richard Burns is... And I appreciate we, we are diverting here into, into WRC as, as was. Um, but cars, cars are uh, emotive things, and I think this, this is where occasionally some manufacturers seem to forget this, that, yeah. that actually car purchasing decisions are often made just as much with the heart as they are with the head. I mean, yeah. as, as you mentioned Burns there, I think one of my all-time fondest memories was watching those two up the hill at Goodwood I think it was 98 something like that mm. and uh, and they were both time because I think that was the year Heidfeld broke the record and it was time but these two were still still gunning for personal glory between them mm. just going quicker and quicker and quicker and the risks they were taking were getting bigger <laughs> and bigger and bigger the corner cuts they were making were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So there's more mud and dirt and grass getting churned up. You know, Lord March didn't seem to mind that they were absolutely ruining his lawn. Um, it was just spectacular to watch them taking mm. tenths of a second off each other, run after run after run. And and it was just a, a beautiful thing to watch. But again, yeah, you came out of that thinking, okay, I'm going to buy an Impreza or a Focus. Don't, don't really care which, but I want one of those two cars. Yeah. No, certainly. And it, for me, Mark 1, RS Focus, again, was the same thing, McRae. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, that's what got me into the Ford brand, was McRae moving to Ford with the Focus. Yeah. That made me look at the Focus and go, oh, I like that. Yeah. And it, for us, as Petrohead, and we've spoken before about Halo products and how they work for the brand, and yeah, I agree. And I, I, This is why I find it really bizarre. When you think back to the sort of Super Tourers, the Volvo, the 850, you had the um, Cavalier and that's Cleland's Cavalier's for sale actually at the minute what the actual one yeah the actual how one much, how much is a one of them I don't know mm. price and asking um, that, that means we can't afford it at least yes BTCC Mondeo's of, of that era you know these these cars that were racing wheel to wheel and people were bearing in mind how much they were then they were you know, 
big, big budgets, manufacturer budgets behind them. Now a lot of independents and smaller racing teams and everything else, which is fantastic. Obviously got to try and preserve the cars a bit more. Arguably, are they a little bit more fragile? I don't know. You know, they get a tap, it does really upset the geometry and that seems to be the end of the race for them. Um, or at least it's back into the pits and try and get everything straight again. Yeah, they'd be no good for Nigel Mantle these days, would they? No, they wouldn't. But, again, really exciting racing, really still accessible racing when you think about the cost of going to this versus the cost of going to something like Formula One. Oh, yeah, it's, it's very good. About it. You can easily take your family yes. for a day out to the British Touring Cars without needing to remortgage your home. Yeah, yeah, yes. And, you know, you can do that camp and, and if you want to do that, have a proper weekend of it and, and still really enjoy it. So... I think BCC's still got some, some real life in it and um, it would be nice to see some more manufacturer support I think but not just one team that would make it <laughs> remarkably uh, remarkably difficult for everyone else but there we go I think whether we would see a manufacturer really get into BCC in the way that they have I, I think those days are long gone because I just don't think the money's there you see people cutting cutting costs left right and centre online retailing all kinds of bits and pieces but I still think a really really interesting sport and I'm, I'm really pleased that it's it's on, it's going, and and you can still enjoy it. And it does seem, that despite the lack of manufacturer involvement, the grid is uh, is growing. Although I think it's shrunk. I think Matt Simpson's um, had to walk away and focus on his uh, his son's career. Um, so although it has shrunk by an entry in uh, in the last couple of days, it's still a nice full grid and and lots mm. going on. So that's very good to see. Yeah, and it will be it. it will be good racing. We talked about influences in BCC, how it's influenced our, our car choice. And I would like to talk just a bit about how the cars our friends and family drive has influenced us from a young age, actually, because this sort of popped into my head the other day because, unfortunately, I lost my granddad a couple of weeks ago. It's been a massive influence to me in terms of the cars and things that I've had over the years, partly because, like me, he changes his cars every five minutes. Uh, has had a ridiculous number of it's cars. It's been at least a month since you bought a car. Has it? Yeah. I suppose it probably has. Yeah. Oh, go me. I've started. I say I've started. I've I've had lots of model cars, which I think is probably and an, an something to talk about another time. Making like a, even replicas of the big ones I have and all that kind of stuff. But I've got a whole stream of uh, little Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars that are along the top part of my desk on the shelves. There, I tend to buy one of those every time I think about buying a real car. And there's now about 30 of them up the top there. But I think that you go back to what your parents drive and what your grandparents drive, and I think it really does influence what you then decide to drive, whether you inherit the car from them or whether you tend to stick to their brand. And actually, as a kid growing up, my, uh, I said my family always drove Fords. That's not quite right. My dad had a lovely Mini, which they then got rid of. Uh, had a couple of Fiestas, which were fine, obviously. Um, the Mark One Fiesta. And then uh, a couple of maestros, one, one red and one in beige, um, because it didn't show the rust quite so much, <laughs> which is a terrible reason to choose a car of any kind of colour. And then Fords. And actually, that has influenced the number of cars I've had over the years. So I've, although you said you know, Fords, the Focus, McRae kind of got you into, into the Ford brand for me for years. Um, it was the, the older stuff, you know, the, the Mark IV Escorts, the XR3s, the RSs and things I've had over the years. And the reason why I followed Ford in motorsport was because that is what my mum and dad drove, <clears throat> what my granddad drove predominantly. Admittedly, he had a Tipo at one point, never really felt the need to get into Fiat. Yeah, see, yeah, for me it was the, uh, the, the Volvo 
estate because yeah. my growing up, my dad had a Volvo. He had plenty of cars, um, company cars in his early life. But one of the earliest cars that uh, that I can remember was his Volvo estate. Mm. So trotting along to the touring cars and seeing, albeit the 850, but seeing what looked like a very similar car doing that made me fall in love with it. So I've always liked uh, a Volvo estate for that reason. Um, and... Yeah, beyond that, as we said, McRae with uh, with the Focus and the Ford brand side of things. My first car ever was a Mark II Golf, which I inherited from my mum. So again, if if I was building my dream dream garage, then a Mark II Golf would be in there without a doubt. Well, I think well we've spoken about this before. You know, we've looked at Mark II Golfs, and you've, you've spoken before about maybe even acquiring one because of because of that. And I think a lot of what we love about cars are the memories we have with them. I've had, oh goodness knows, must be cracking on for 40 cars now. But there are some that I remember much more than others. And I remember going out with my mates in one of my XR3s with a roof down and just touring across various different bits of Sussex in, you know, going to, to different places, just doing stupid things. But actually, I remember that car really fondly because of the things we did with them. And I think it's the people that influence us, whether they be racing drivers or you know, your, your family, your friends, or the, the events that you have that, that are what make cars special to us, I and mean, they are what make brands dear to us. I really do. I think that there's something very special about the memories you have about these cars and how it affects how you feel about another car. Yeah, for me, because of Rydell in the Volvos, Rydell was always my favourite touring car driver. The grid was full of British drivers or... You know, people that you would maybe think being British, I would cheer on beforehand. Um, yeah, I cheered on this guy from Sweden because he drove my dad's car. So that's why. Damon Hill in the Williams Renault. Part of the reason for having a soft spot for Williams is Damon Hill and the success that he had with them. Uh, the same with the Jordan team. I like the Jordan team because he drove for them. Jensen Button and his affiliation with McLaren and with Honda are two of the reasons that I like McLaren and I like Honda. And actually, probably one of the reasons, I, if I could only have one supercar, I would consider buying a McLaren over anything from Ferrari or Porsche or Pagani. You know, a, a McLaren would be probably top of my list, it has to be said. Hmm. Well... Here's to the, the people and places that uh, they've influenced our, our car purchase history and, and the memories that we have for them. And uh, here's to all our heroes, whether they be with us or, or not. And uh, yeah. And as, uh, I think, as you say, you can have different marketing campaigns and adverts and selling channels. And do you buy it online? Do you sell it in a shopping centre, etc.? But it's, it's one of those you, you might forget how manufacturers advertise their cars. You might forget what they're selling. Um, you might forget what they say or you might forget what they do, but you never forget how people make you feel and yeah. how <clears throat> motorsport makes us feel. For sure. I think is more important than anything else. And if you have no interest in emotive cars or anything else, then there are options out there for you. So, um, Such as this year's Car of the Year, which is a Peugeot yep. 208, 2008. Or possibly a something eight, Whatever. And on that, that note, doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and on that note, I, I think it's probably time that we said goodbye, good night, good morning, or we're doing if you're listening to us because we have no idea. As always, you might be listening to us at three in the morning. You might be listening to us at seven in the morning. Who knows? Or you might have fallen asleep and you're just waking up to the end of this podcast, in which goes good morning. 
yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And thanks for not listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.